Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Well, a great, great Sunday evening to everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks very much for tuning in and spending a little bit of time with us tonight. Our single-minded goal is to make you better consumers of healthcare. We want to raise your health IQ, and we do it one listener at a time. And our, our program pledge to everybody is that what you are going to hear tonight is going to be actionable information, meaning you're going to hear something, you're going to say, I can do that, or this is a health tip, a bit of health knowledge that I could change my life, the life of a family member, a friend, a relative, a loved one. And if that occurs, then I would say mission accomplished. We have done our job for this week. It is trying to give you this information because so much of what we see is disease, conditions, problems that fester for years to decades in some situations. And then patients will show up at the doctor's office, in the emergency room, in the intensive care unit, with a critical problem that when you look back, and this is the hard truth, and we're not here to shame people or call them out, but when you look back, there have been warning signs way out in the open that could have been acted upon. So that's what we're all about. We love taking care of our patients, but we want to try to identify problems way, way Earlier. Now, to be part of the program, our website, drjoegalati.com, drjoegalati.com. You can, of course, sign up for our newsletter. It is right at the homepage. It says newsletter. Click it, put your information in, and every Wednesday morning you get a newsletter delivered to your inbox with a wide range of health and wellness news that uh, you can, of course, use. Go to our Facebook page at Dr. Joe Galati. At Dr. Joe Galati is our Facebook address or handle, whatever you want to call that. And uh, both through the website or through Facebook, you can send us a message. We do want to hear from our great listeners. Now, in the studio tonight, in just a few minutes, a, a real treat. Dr. Joseph Rogers is the new president and CEO of the world-famous Texas Heart Institute here in the Texas Medical Center. Everybody knows if you're, if you're from Texas or not from Texas, Dr. Denton Cooley back in the 1960s started the Texas Heart Institute, and Joe has uh, been given the torch to lead it 
into the future with some very, very exciting opportunities for uh, cardiovascular health and, of course, cardiac prevention, preventing cardiac disease. And when you look at heart disease, the main issue is that 50% of all deaths are related to heart disease, heart attack, and stroke for the most part. There is also something called peripheral vascular disease that is involving your extremities, your inner organs, uh, the blood supply to your intestines and your kidneys and your brain. So there is a lot of territory to cover. But I would say, without a doubt, take the time, stay tuned. He's going to be with us the remainder of the program. So Dr. Joseph Rogers at the Texas Heart Institute will be here. Great guest. I have known Joe since 1989. We met at University of Nebraska. And a quick side story, and this is an interesting story, but also it's a, it's, it's a, it's a life story in a sense. My older sister, Anne, she's two years older than me, at the um, age of about 30, 31, she developed Hodgkin's disease, which is a type of lymphoma that involves uh, your, your lymph nodes. And she originally received treatment in New York, where we were all living at the time. But unfortunately, after about a year, year and a half of treatment, the Hodgkin's disease came back. It was resistant to the chemotherapy and radiation that the doctors were giving her. And her oncologist called me. I was a uh, uh, resident at the time. He called me and said, Joe, Ann's Hodgkin's disease is back. The only thing that could be done is she needs to go to University of Nebraska to get a bone marrow transplant. And I remember the reaction saying, here we are in New York City, the Northeast. There are no no centers in New York City, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Dana-Farber, Cancer Institute in Boston, Washington, Hopkins, nothing at all. And he said, no, at University of Nebraska, they have pioneered a new approach for Hodgkin's disease. And so she and her husband go out to be evaluated for the transplant. But unfortunately, from a social standpoint, who was going to be staying with her, uh, it wasn't strong enough because my parents weren't able to go out with her. My other sister couldn't go out with her. Her husband had to travel back and forth for work. So basically, the bottom line is I went out there with her to be her caretaker during my residency, and that is where I met Joe Rogers and others at University of Nebraska Medical Center, and it was completely life-changing for me, career-changing for me, and I am doing what I am doing now, liver disease, from what happened in 1989. So Joe Rogers, Dr. Joe Rogers, was a very pivotal, pivotal, meaningful individual that I met, and here we are working in the same city years later. So stay tuned. We're going to take a break right now. Dr. Joe Rogers is in the wings. Get out your pad and pencil. You want to listen to this. Stay tuned. I'll be right back.
Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. Trying to raise your health IQ One listener at a time I'm Dr. Joe Galati Thank you for tuning into Your Health First And as I was saying earlier In the studio here Is Dr. Joseph Rogers His current title Is the president of Texas Heart Institute He's a good friend of mine Joe, welcome And thanks for coming in tonight well, Joe, thanks for the invitation. It's great to see you. So, um, we've known each other since 1989. Hard to believe. It's very hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. March of March of March first of 1989 is when when uh, we met in Omaha of all places, and you went off to a uh, career in uh, cardiovascular disease. You're a cardiologist. Uh, so what what is it that you find exciting about cardiology? And, and for everybody listening tonight, the idea, what we do, if, if you're new to Your Health First, the idea here is to make you a better consumer and really have you uh, have a sense of understanding the current issues that we all face. And heart disease, no matter how you cut it, 50% of us are going to die from Heart disease. So this is a big ticket item. So, uh, Joe, what do you find exciting about heart disease and cardiology, and what drew drew you into being a cardiologist? Well, Joe, thanks. So, you know, I think that um, that there are several aspects of cardiology that that stimulate many of us to go into this field. Uh-huh. Um, I think that there's uh, been tremendous innovation in this space over the last several decades. But I think more than almost any other specialty in medicine, cardiology has focused on developing clinical trials that prove or disprove the value of therapies. Uh, And it probably is based on the fact that so many people have heart disease, but it's provided a rich benefit. database for us to study and understand different kinds of clinical treatments. So we can really begin to tailor our treatments to specific patients. And I think that that attracts a lot of us into this space. Now, 25, 30 years that you've been in cardiology, like like almost any field, at, at times I, I think that you don't even recognize what we were doing 25, 30, 35 years ago to say, my Goodness, we really were, were were giving this medicine for that disease. Tell us sort of the transition of when you first started to today, current time, uh, the advances and therapies that you're excited about. Yeah, well, I'll give you what I think is maybe one of the most tangible examples. I need to go back a little bit before I started in cardiology. Uh-huh. But if you think about the way that we used to treat patients who had heart attacks, right? we used to put them in a dark room in a hospital for weeks and ask them not to move much because we didn't want to stress their heart. We didn't have any ways to really monitor them when they were in. Uh And compare that to what we're doing today where we have very clear metrics about how quickly we want to take a heart attack patient, get them into a catheterization laboratory, open up the occluded blood vessel, 
And most of those patients leave the hospital within a day or two. So, I mean, just if you, and, and we can go through a variety of different cardiovascular conditions, but as a stark example of what we've accomplished over the last several decades, I think that that's one of the more striking. You know, when you talk about heart attack, and, and, and we've chatted about this before, how women present with heart attacks differently, just give a, a thumbnail on the importance of, number one, everybody knowing the symptoms of a heart attack and why it's crucial to not feel ashamed, timid, uh, ignore it, uh, and call 911 right away? Yeah. So this is another really great question, and I think you've highlighted one of the challenges that the, 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 the American population and mm-hmm. all of us face, and that is that symptoms can be varied, and they can be different between men and women. You know, that what we've always told men is it will, uh, you know, you'll have a sensation that there's an elephant sitting on your chest. Right. You may feel sick to your stomach. It may be hard to breathe. You may break out in a sweat. You may have pain that goes up into your, uh, your arm or your neck, but it tends to be on the left side of the chest. But it doesn't always have to be that way, even in men. And, um, and, and uh, so um, the symptoms can be varied. And especially in women, a lot of women present with vague symptoms that mm-hmm. often have to do with with uh, GI upset, with nausea. Uh, and that's what makes it so difficult for people to know, gosh, is this, a, is this my heart or is it something else that I have? It can, can feel like GERD. But right. one of the things that you almost always hear from people is something felt different. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would uh, say that, that if you're experiencing either those classic symptoms or something that feels um, atypical or unusual – Seek help. You know, get get care. If you're wrong, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what you don't want to do is is sit and wait a, a, on a heart attack because what we know is what the earlier you can get uh, that treatment, the better off your outcomes. You know, you hear um, sometimes all too often the 45 year old uh, tennis player. He was in great shape. He didn't drink or smoke. And, oh, he was at the gym, had a a tennis match, and dropped dead. Um, I'm always a little bit leery to think that, yes, that can happen out of the blue. But do you think that there may have been some very minor symptoms, something was wrong, palpitations, that could have, not every case, could have clued you in to say, hey, you know what? Go in to see your doctor now, and maybe they might find an abnormal chemistry, an abnormal EKG to say, whoa, wait a second. Let's, let's do something now. Yeah, I think that, that what we all should be doing is thinking about how to prevent these uh, events from occurring. And you're right. A lot of these people have some risk factors that they either know about or don't know about. Right. So things like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, family history, you kind of go down the list that we all know about. Uh, but a lot of these people will have some risk factors for cardiovascular disease. The other thing that's important, though, and I, I really like the um, the example that you used of the tennis player, the right. way we understand this condition is that a lot of times people have fairly mild blockages in their heart arteries. Right. And one of those blockages will get a split in it. It'll break open a little bit and okay. you'll clog up on top of a mild blockage. So it 
a lot of these people won't actually have any symptoms before they have an event. So it couldn't. So and, and again, I'm not I'm not saying that every person that has this sudden death, um, not that it's their fault, but, you know, you should have known something your wife or husband should have picked up. But you're thinking that it is truly believable that they were exercising, leading a really clean life and then all hell breaks loose. That that actually can happen. But to be fair, the majority of us, uh, you know, really have an opportunity to modify risk factors over the entire span of our life. So to get back to where you started this, you know, should we all be making sure that we understand our cholesterol levels right. and if they're high we treat them to make sure that we've if we've got diabetes that we're treating that that we're not smoking um, you know th- those are the sorts of of foundational risk factors that we all should be focused on to prevent cardiovascular disease yeah what I what I like to do and and um, I'll, I'll share with you the slide that I've got it basically is a car dashboard and when you turn on your car, there's a little battery that goes on, brakes, a thermometer, the oil pressure. I replaced it with heart, lungs, kidneys, liver, brain <laughs> to say, as soon as you see the check engine light on your car go off, you're calling your dealer. You're calling your mechanic and say, oh, my God, I don't want my daughter driving around with the check engine light. It might be dangerous. Imagine if we had our own check engine light to say, you may not see smoke coming out of the tailpipe, but I have to get in. To get it checked. And I think most people would actually go to the dealer when they saw one of those lights come on. I think many times with our health, we try to outthink it and believe that we can understand the complexities of some of these conditions. Go get checked. Yeah, I think it's sort of the ostrich um, syndrome where you just stick your head in the sand and... Everything goes away, Joe, you know. (laughs) I am talking here with Dr. Joe Rogers. He is the newly installed president and CEO of the world-famous Texas Heart Institute here in the Texas Medical Center. We're going to be back in just a minute. Go to drjoegalati.com. Find out about Dr. Rogers and all that he and his team are doing. Stand by. We will be right back. Every Sunday evening between 7 and 8 p.m., of course, we want you tuned into your radio here. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. This is Your Health First. Go to drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. All of our social media is there to tap into and find out about Dr. Joseph Rogers, our guest in the studio tonight. Joe, thanks very much for coming in today and how are you enjoying Houston that that's uh you're from Lincoln Nebraska spent some time in St. Louis Duke University you're making the loop around the United States so how how is uh how is Texas treating you so far Joe I think Texas is terrific I've really enjoyed uh, Houston um the weather is just as I like it hot and humid in the summer that's right <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, the people are wonderful and uh and I really enjoy the city great perfect so we we are uh if you're just tuning in now uh Dr Rogers is the uh 
president and CEO of the Texas Heart Institute here in the Texas Medical Center. And you can never, ever, ever talk enough about heart disease, preventing heart disease, because as I said earlier, no matter how you slice and dice it, 50% of us are all going to die from a cardiovascular related complication. And so I believe, and I'm sure Joe does uh, too, the most important thing for us is to understand risk factors that you may have. What is putting you at a disadvantage to have one of these for you to fall into the 50%, we, we want you to move out of that 50%. We got to die of something. I'm not saying, you know, breast cancer is the way to go, but, or liver disease. But, but anyway, um, the avoidance of heart disease. So, uh, Joe, risk factors, go over or explain the common ones that everybody knows, and then maybe some of the more obscure things that people need to think twice about. Sure, Joe, thanks. So when we talk about risk factors for heart disease, we typically have been talking to people about the risk factors for developing coronary artery disease. <clears throat> and so... And there, what, what is coronary artery yeah, disease? Yeah, so those are the, it's atherosclerosis, arteriosclerosis, blockages. We, plaque. <clears throat> plaque. We, we, all all, all of these different names for this. But it, the, it's the concept is that your, the arteries on your heart are beginning to fill up um, with some with some blockage right. uh, that limits the blood flow, and that's really what we're worried about. That's the driver of so much heart disease, right? And it it, it it many may not realize that we're talking about the heart, but it happens in your neck, in your brains, in your abdomen, really in your any, legs. Any sure. any vessel is at risk, right? So some of the risk factors um, you're born with. So some people will have a genetic predisposition to developing blockages in arteries. And uh-huh. unfortunately, there's obviously nothing you can do about that. Um, but they can, that, that predisposition can be modified by other factors that mm-hmm. we can, um, can, can favorably impact with, treat, with early detection and treatment. So the kind of very common risk factors that we understand for blockages are smoking, and that is obviously completely right. within the control of each of us, right? Uh, and is an important driver of artery damage over time. Cholesterol uh, is something that we can, we can, and probably all should be tested for relatively early in our lives, just to understand whether we have a predisposition toward high cholesterol. And the cholesterol story is even a little bit more complicated because there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. Right, right. And your doctors can help you understand that it's actually the ratio of those two, the good to the bad, that really is the driver for blockage. So just let me just stop you there. Uh, and, and I agree with what you're saying about getting your cholesterol checked. And uh, if it's high, get help and intervene. If it's in the normal range, you, you may be okay for right now. But Generally speaking, we want you to see your doctor, of course. What age would you say is a range to get your first cholesterol check? We know that people should get their first colonoscopy at 45 or 50, their mammogram at 40, uh, et cetera. So what about get your cholesterol checked? Yeah, I think that I would, I would qualify your question with with one um, factor, and that is, is there a family history of premature blockages in arteries, because if there is, you should be checked early on in your life. Probably 
even in your teens or early 20s. Okay. I think if there's not a strong family history, you know, most of us are going to see a primary care doctor of some sort in our 20s or 30s, and it's reasonable at that point to get a blood test and just understand your cholesterol values and those ratios that we talked about. Okay. I think the other risk factors to think about, diabetes, we understand to be an important driver of of cardiovascular disease and the way that diabetes links in to cholesterol and high blood pressure, which is another um, risk factor. You know, this idea of a metabolic syndrome where there are multiple factors that have gone out of range and predispose right. you. So, so those are um, many of the key drivers of, of, of blockages. Now, how about now obesity? Now, obesity, the way I look at obesity is if you are obese and overweight, you're more prone to hypertension, to cholesterol problems. And so do you look at obesity as a, um, not so much an incidental finding, as a, a driver for these other things? Or do you see somebody or somebody listening tonight that's overweight that they may be at additional risk. Yeah, it's hard to... Be, because what I would say is so many patients come in and, and they are significantly overweight and we'll start quizzing them. Has your cholesterol ever been up? No, it's perfect. How about your blood pressure? No, it's perfect. Uh, any diabetes? No, my blood sugar is perfect. And so they, they think that they are sort of off the hook. <laughs> what, what do you think? <clears throat> yeah. so, uh, so often those risk factors are intertwined. Uh, and people who believe that their blood pressures are okay and they don't have diabetes and their cholesterols are okay when they're overweight may not be accurate. And so I think it's important to challenge those ideas with data. Um, okay. But having said that, if you have someone who has isolated obesity, it, it is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It predisposes people to other kinds of challenges like physical inactivity, which we also know is an important right. uh, you know, driver for cardiovascular health. We want people to be work, you know, performing some kind of aerobic activity throughout the span of the week. So I think it's, it's difficult to parse some of these out and say it's that, that, that strictly being overweight or obese isn't a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. It probably is. And then I wanted to turn to one other thing, Joe, just really quickly, which I, you asked about whether or not there are some emerging yes. risk factors. And I think you know, we are developing a real appreciation for how, and you and I have had this conversation, how some of the social drivers of health interplay into these risk factors. So, um, you know, uh, poverty, food insecurity, right. educational levels. And I think unless we begin to target some of those other really difficult issues for, for us as a population, we're never really going to to resolve the issues of cardiovascular it's, disease. It, it really is. And uh, I would say that is a whole separate topic. But certainly you and I love to talk about food, both the availability of good food and the consumption of good food. Right. You, you and I are never going to walk away from a good meal. But I do believe in, in, in that respect uh, when you're driving in an impoverished neighborhood and you see billboards for the dollar meal or the dollar twenty-five meal, now it's it's really sickening. Yeah, and I think I've even told you the story about a patient I was with 
in the office who was very obese uh-huh. and and just was uh, and was so impoverished. And I said, "Help me understand right. this because it seems um, like a contradiction." And what she told me was, "I don't have enough money to eat well." So Mm -hmm. what I do, because I can afford it, is I eat fast food three times a week. Right. Three times a day, rather. Right. And so, you know, you really get a sense that that some people just can't afford to eat healthy foods. And I know you're a great proponent of that. And I appreciate all the work you've done in the community and nationally to drive the conversation. Yeah, it's it's, – this is, I I think, and as you agree, the next battle we have to to really face – uh, in one minute, before we take another break, sleep apnea, okay? I, I would think, in my view of the world, half of my patients have sleep apnea and they have CPAP machines. That itself, in a very peculiar way, puts you at risk for uh, heart disease and complications. So explain that to everybody. Why, for those listening, if you have sleep apnea, you you uh, are attached to your sleep apnea machine, your CPAP machine, you need to be a little on guard. So sleep apnea tends to be linked to other kinds of, of, of conditions, right? So it's very clearly linked to being overweight or obese. Right. It's also linked to high blood pressure, to arrhythmias at night, and one of the other challenges, as you well know, with sleep apnea is that people uh, oftentimes don't tolerate the treatment very well. And so <laughs> right. the, the use of the CPAP machines is, is variable. So it is linked to cardiovascular disease and other diseases. Yeah. And so, yes. And so what I would say is, to your point, if you have it and it is not working well, you're tearing it off after an hour... And so the other six or eight hours that you're sleeping, you're sort of unprotected. That is bad. Uh, And, you know, for many patients, if they were to exercise, eat better, try to lose weight, they may be able to sort of get off the the sleep apnea machine and the problem. You're right. You're exactly right. Some of those uh, risk factors for sleep apnea are modifiable. Right. No, exactly. All right, final segment. Joe, This are you enjoying this so far? It's wonderful. I hope you invite me back. Okay. All right, final segment coming up. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. I'm here with Dr. Joseph Rogers from the Texas Heart Institute. I guess this is apropos born to run. We need to run in a good way, run, not run around like we're crazy. But stay tuned and we'll be right back. The glory and suicide machines sprung from cages on Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, you're tuned into Your Health First every Sunday between just the hour of 7 and 8 p.m. And I have been saying for the 18 years that I've been here, every single program, we are going to give you, provide you with actionable information that you can change your health and wellness with or the health and wellness safety 
of your family, loved one, boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, maybe even your boss, that guy in the office next to you that you may be a bit worried about. And I'm here in the studio tonight on this glorious Sunday evening with Dr. Joe Rogers, the president and CEO of the Texas Heart Institute. It just does not get any better. And as I've been saying for all these years, and somebody uh, much more experienced in radio told me, they said, Joe, you do not have guests on the radio. You are going to have experts. And so, Joe, you are an expert beyond, uh, beyond belief here. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for the invitation, Joe. So uh, we're going to have to rapid fire here in the remaining eight minutes or so. High blood pressure, hypertension. Uh, what are the guidelines and what do people really need to understand about just how damn important it is. Yeah, so we understand that high blood pressure is an important driver of cardiovascular disease, all kinds of cardiovascular disease. We've talked a lot this evening about blockages and arteries, but it's also a driver of heart failure. Right. This condition where people have swelling, they have trouble exercising because they can't breathe, they may be short of breath at night. So it is an important driver of cardiovascular disease. Um, what, we've under, what we understand today from large patient populations is that the lower the blood pressure, the lower the risk for cardiovascular disease. And right. we used to tell people, you know, that you should keep your blood pressure under 140 over 90. Right. And then it dropped to 130 over 90. And now we're down closer to 120 over 80 to be optimal. And it may even be that lower than that, if you can get your blood pressure down in that range, is even more beneficial. We also know, Joe, to be really clear with your listeners, that in the trials that we've done of patients who have high blood pressure, it often takes several medicines to get down into that range. So, so I think it's very important for people to understand and not get discouraged mm -hmm. if they start on a drug and it doesn't get them down into the desirable range that they may need to either change the dosage of a drug or add another drug to get to get down to the to the desirable uh, range. Now there there's almost a mental block, and it is we are all programmed, I believe, to be in denial. It's it's a safety mechanism for us in some way or another to deny we have high blood pressure. Uh, the other the other thing to comment on, and uh, I'm I'm going to jump around here. Every disease or every organ system has the silent killer. You know, you know, we used to say hepatitis C was the silent killer. You know, you had no symptoms until you got cirrhosis and liver cancer and, and, and killed over dead from liver failure. But everybody likes to talk about high blood pressure as the silent killer. Why? Well, because most people don't feel it right. <laughs> uh, unless, unless your blood pressure is very, very high. Right. And so that's why it's important to get your blood pressure measured, uh, uh, you know, by a physician or s some health personnel to understand whether it really is high. But and, and this is a, again one of the challenges of of the treatment for high blood pressure. It tends not to make you feel better like it does if you have uh, a. a cold or pneumonia yeah. or something, you take an antibiotic and you, and you start yeah. to feel better. Right. You tend not to feel better because of the, of the blood pressure medicines, but it's lowering your risk in the long run. Yeah. Do you, you know, what do you think it takes? And I'm sure you've seen a gazillion patients that when you tell them 
they have high blood pressure or hypertension, they are incensed by the diagnosis and they exercise, lose weight, get their salt intake under control. And is there, are there those patients that say, Dr. Rogers, okay, I'm going to take your one or two medicines, I'm going to be fine, but I am going to do everything to get off the medicine and maintain a blood pressure in a safe range. That is absolutely the best treatment, Joe. And I agree with you. You know, it, 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 the things that we counsel patients to do in the office actually work if people can do it. So they need to change their diet and cut out the salt and use different kinds of seasoning. They need to lose weight and, and, and they need to exercise more and they need to get their sleep apnea treated like we discussed in the last segment. But taking care of a lot of those those risks for high blood pressure will actually eliminate the high blood pressure so that you don't have to take a medicine. Yeah, and then there are others that unfortunately, and I, and I do not believe anybody is beyond help. Anybody is beyond being inspired where they just take on a pill mentality to say, well, you know, two drugs didn't work. I need a third. But at the same time, you have, and, and we have to be honest, this person has done nothing to exercise, eat better, control their salt, uh, anything in a constructive manner. Get the pill. I see Dr. Rogers. He's a great guy. Now I'm on three pills. Agree 100%. What, what we're asking people to do is hard. And I think that we should, acknowledge, is, right. we should acknowledge that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to fit exercise into our complicated daily schedules. It's hard to cook the way that we need to cook in order to be healthy. And a lot of people actually either can't fit it into their daily routine or they don't know how to do it. So ask for help. Uh, but I do think that there's a role for us to, to take some time during the day to focus on ourselves and our own health and to, do the, to, to um, practice habits that will make our bodies healthy. Okay. Um, a quick yes-no question with a brief explanation. Statins, are they safe? Statins are safe for the vast majority of patients. There are some side effects that need to be monitored and your primary doctor or your um, cardiologist can take care of that. Okay. I will have you back. There's there's just too much to talk about here, but tell us, um, I keep, I, I hate saying you got a minute, you got 30 seconds, but in a minute and a half, Texas Heart Institute, where are we at? Where are you taking this? Thanks uh, for the question. So, uh, you know, the Texas Heart Institute has a remarkable legacy of excellence, mm -hmm. uh, in, not only in Houston, Texas, but internationally. And we plan to stand on that legacy that was created by Dr. Cooley and others and really look forward boldly into the future to redefine cardiovascular health for the population. You have a... As far as you've come, as far as you personally, Texas Heart Institute, the worldwide community heart disease, there's just so much more to do. If there was one thing to leave us with, what would you say is that, that real jewel out there that is the hot thing that's going to make the most impact? It's the hardest thing that we possibly can do, Joe, but I think what we really want to do is prevent cardiovascular disease. Right. Yeah, I think both you and I would love to be out of a job. Would love that. So, all right. Well, uh, Joe, thank you. And I do promise, uh, out of all the people we've had on, on the program over the years, you certainly need to come back because cardiovascular disease is such, it's, it's, it's a huge topic. 
I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Joe. All right. Well, don't forget, um, we'll be here next Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Don't forget, go to our website, drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Send me a message if you have any comments about what Dr. Rogers has been chatting about today. Let me know. And for all of you, get your blood pressure under control. That's your message for tonight. Take care. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao. 